0: five boy names of 2022 liam noah oliver elijah and mateo mateo that's the top five top five girl names in 2022 olivia amelia emma ava and sophia some very interesting names as i was looking at these things and how it changed from 2021 to 22 The name Evelyn, which I kind of consider an older name, broke back into the top ten. The name Luna moved down from nine to seven. And the name Harper fell out of the top ten. Boy names. L's are very popular. There are Liam in the top ten. Liam, Leo, Lucas, and Levi. Here's some cool ones to consider, maybe you haven't thought of. Arlo, Bruno, Aurelius, and my personal favorite, Cosmo, Cosmo. The most common names of 2022, James and Mary, James and Mary. Names often almost have a prophetic significance. For instance, I didn't, you may not know this, my name is Robert Sean Milliken. Did y'all know my first name was Robert? Yeah, terrible name. No, great, great name. It's terrible to be called by your middle name. You know, the first day of school is always treacherous because you don't like that name that you're not called by. All right. Actually, Robert is a a great name. Uh, The reason for that being my name is my dad's best friend's name was Robert. And I asked my mom, I said, well, why in the world did you call me Sean? She's like, you just looked like a Sean when you came out. I said, okay, not sure about the significance. My daughter came home not long ago. We were talking about names. And she said, did you know the name Milliken, the meaning of it? I was like, oh, it probably means like warrior king. That, no, it means son of a bald one. <laughs> I looked this up. Milliken, that name means bald one or son of a bald one. Prophetic. Prophetic. As we begin our Christmas celebration season, I want us to consider the names and the titles and the significance of Bethlehem's babe. The identity of this Christmas babe is a crucial fact. And the gospel writers, as they break into their narratives want us to understand the name and the significance of the name. The name that is above every name, the name Jesus. That's what we'll be considering today. So let's begin in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 as we are introduced to this one who is the central figure of Matthew's gospel, of all the gospels of even the entire New Testament. and really all of the Bible, and really all of history. This central figure, Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We are told about Jesus. That's who we're studying about and it says here that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ. Jesus Christ. We say that as if his first name's Jesus and his middle name is Christ. But really, Christ or Messiah, and those are synonymous, all right? One is, uh, uh, comes from the Greek, Christos, and the other comes from the Hebrew, where we get Messiah. Both mean this. They mean the Anointed One. The Anointed One. So you think about in the Bible, in the Old Testament... Things that were anointed, usually what it meant is they were covered with oil. They were were covered with oil for a significant purpose. They were being set apart for God's purposes, for religious purposes, if you will. So things that were anointed were set apart for God. Many things were anointed, and several groups of people in the Old Testament were anointed. Who were they? Well, kings were anointed. Prophets oftentimes were anointed, and priests were anointed. And so there were all of these ones of the Old Testament that were anointed. But Jesus is not an anointed one. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. In the same way that maybe if you're a part of a civic club or a group at work or something like that, you might be president of your club, but you're not the president. When we talk about the president, we think of the highest president, the president of the United States. And so, in the same way, the Messiah, there were other anointed ones, but there is the special one that the Old Testament is pointing to that will come as the ultimate one. Some Jewish rabbis have found as many as 450. Old Testament passages or prophecies that spoke about in some way an anointed one. The anointed one, the Messiah or the messianic age that would come. And it would be this time that would be ushered in when finally and fully God's kingdom seems to come to earth. When all things are made right that have been wrong. So there was this expectation through the Old Testament building and building and building. It went all the way back. To Genesis 3, 15. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. This, evan- this proto the the, the, the the one, the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. Will step on his head, but his heel will be bruised. And then progressively, God gives more and more information about the Messiah that was to come. For instance, I'll give you this one, Ezekiel 37. Now there are many of these passages we could look at I'm trying to limit it to just a few. Ezekiel 37 and verse 24. A beautiful passage about the Messiah's coming. It says, My servant David will be king over them, and there will be one shepherd for all of them. They will follow my ordinances and keep my statutes and obey them. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob. I will make a covenant of peace with them. And it will be a permanent covenant. So here is this idea, Ezekiel 37, of the Messiah coming. And number one, he'll be a king. Number two, he'll be the one shepherd over all, over everyone. When he comes, the people's hearts will be changed to keep God's ordinances and statutes. And they will be given the land that God had promised to his servant, Jacob, He will be one that ushers in a covenant of peace. So he will be a king, a royal king that brings peace. And he will do so permanently. Beautiful passage promising this king, this Messiah, this Christ, this anointed one that will do what all of us long to see and experience. And that is God in our hearts. God in our homes, God in all of the world. So Jesus is the Messiah. Let's move on to verses two through six that tell a little bit more about this Jesus, the Christ, or the Messiah. It says in verse one, he's the son of David, he's the son of Abraham. Then it breaks into this genealogy. We won't read it all, just through verse six. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar Perez fathered Hezron and Hezron fathered Ram Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nashon and Nashon fathered Salmon Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth and Obed fathered Jesse, Jesse fathered David the king two big names stand out here Jesus being of the line or a son of David and Abraham. And of course we know that Abraham is that the father, the patriarch of the Old Testament. He would be the father of this great nation. But not only of a nation, from him will come the blessing for all the nations, all the peoples of the world. The son of Abraham will bring that blessing. Jesus comes through that line of the patriarch. Abraham, but Abraham had several sons, didn't he? The people of promise would come through Isaac. Jesus comes through the line of Isaac and Jacob and then of the tribe of Judah. Interestingly, it says of the tribe of Judah, a prophecy in Genesis 49, that from Judah or in Judah, there will be a scepter. That will be the kingly line. That's the line that Jesus comes through. He is the king. He is not just the son of Abraham, he is the son of David. David is that first great king. And really he becomes the epitome of the king of Israel, a good king. Though he himself was imperfect, made a lot of mistakes, the people revered David. And so there will be a son of David, of royal blood and lineage, that the Messiah would come from. And that is where Jesus came from. 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 12. Here is the Lord's promise to David. Now listen to this. As David becomes king, God makes his covenant with David. It says, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you, your descendant, who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Do you hear that? This Davidic line, God says to David, when you die, one of your sons will come. And with him, I will be a father, and he will be my son in a very special way. And it's his kingdom, his throne, that I will establish forever a great Messianic prophecy in Isaiah 11, verse 1. Because we could apply in some way 2 Samuel 7 to Solomon, but that's not the fulfillment. Long after Solomon's death, here is a prophecy from Isaiah in chapter 11. A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Picture this, picture this great tree and it sawed off at the ground and left a stump that looks to be dead and it lays there and lays there and lays there. And then one day, a green shoot comes out of it. Jesus is pictured that way as being the branch or the shoot that comes up from the line of David. He is the king that will fulfill the covenant. And God will fulfill the covenant through him that was given to David. But there are some other people mentioned here in the genealogy. There's lots of other people. It's interesting. Four women are named here. So he's not just the son of Abraham, the son of King David. He's the son of Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Uriah's wife, a Canaanite. Probably one a prostitute, one a Moabitess, and one a Hittite. Not exactly stellar Jewish people. It's a reminder, I think, that God used the Gentiles. God used imperfect people in the line of Jesus. Now, Jesus himself was perfect and sinless, but a reminder that God does not shy away from broken, imperfect people. I think Matthew's mentioning of these four women is also in a way, setting the stage to prepare us for what we're about to hear, actually what Bill recited today. That there was a bit of scandal around Jesus' coming because his adopted father Joseph and his mother Mary, when Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, they were not married. They were betrothed. They were engaged. And so there would be a lot of whispering And questions around the coming of Jesus. And that helps us to get ready for that part of the story. And I want us to finish up now hearing the name. The name that is above every name and what it means. Jesus, our Savior. Let's read verses 17 through 24. Actually, I'll stop at verse 21 here since we've already heard part of this. We skipped a little genealogy here after. David, But it says this, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generation. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph... Since he was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had thought this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall name his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. You shall call his name Jesus. This long-awaited, kingly Messiah. This shepherd that is coming now in Bethlehem. This baby boy that was conceived of the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. They were told what his name would be. They didn't have to access The top five boy names of AD 0, AD 3, whatever it is. They didn't access that. They were told what his name would be. His name shall be called Jesus. Yeshua. Joshua is the same name. You think about that revered Old Testament hero, Joshua, who was Moses' replacement. The one who would take and lead by God's grace and his power the Jewish people out of their wilderness wanderings and in to the land of promise. He would be called Jesus. What does that mean? Well, it says here what it means. It means Yahweh saves. God saves. Who is Jesus? He is the Savior that God has sent to a broken world, an imperfect people, a world in need of saving. I think a lot of people might ask the question, what's the big deal about this tiny babe? Well, the big deal, my friends, is this world is broken. And each of us is broken. Those who underestimate the devastating power of sin see this promise as unnatural, as unnecessary. Hey, but to those who look around and see all of the bad things in the world, those who feel that even in the secret place of the heart, we are not right. All is not well with us. Our hearts then are prepared, maybe, to receive God's salvation, God's grace. Jesus comes wrapped in human flesh and in swaddling clothes. And we learn something, not just about ourselves and our need for salvation, we learn something about God, about His humility, about His heart to save and to rescue those who are dying and perishing. We learn about God's mercy. Do you ever wonder what God is like? What will it be like to stand before God? What is this God who is the creator, who has the power to speak everything into existence, what is he like? Well, in Jesus, we see all of the fullness of God. And he comes down from heaven, and he enters into the human race man he humbles himself and takes on the lowliest form a little ba- helpless babe in a faraway place where there's no medical care much the chances of disease and disaster and death are all around him and he enters in to our world to save us. We need that. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what I need today and, and I hope you'll hear this too is we need a fresh vision and sense of God's grace. I need that. Because if I'm honest it's a lot easier to point at everyone else's brokenness and sin. And ignore the fact that I'm a sinner in need of grace. But the fact is. God looks on us. And all of our waywardness. And our wrongdoing. And wickedness of the heart. And even the terrible things that we do. And he says I love you. I've come for you. And he wants to rescue us. we see our need of rescue but I'll tell you we need to lift up our arms and say save me he doesn't save everybody he's willing he saves those who are his people he saves those who cry out to him in faith knowing that only he can save I tell you what I can't save you I can't save myself Nobody that we elect to any office anywhere is going to save this world. Oh, can they make things better? Maybe. Maybe a little better. But they're not going to rescue us from all the sin that's around us. Only one can do that. That's Jesus Christ. And the salvation that he brings. One of the reasons that Jesus, I think, doesn't go around saying, I'm the Christ, I'm the Christ. Though I would say to you, all of the gospel writers make a big deal of this. That you need to know that this is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King. Jesus didn't go around saying that because people had wrong expectations about that. It all became merely political and power plays in a temporal realm. They thought he just came to save the Jewish people right there in Palestine in that day when the salvation that he came to bring is so much bigger and it reaches to all the peoples of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. Right here in Valley Springs. Men and women, boys and girls. He came to save those who are lost. That is God. That is who he is. And so he broke into time. And he broke into our world. And he took on the name Jesus. Jesus. Yahweh saves. Whenever you hear that name, you should think, not condemnation, salvation. God's mercy and grace to us, to a people who are languishing and dying. That's who Jesus is. He is the Savior of the world. And all of this took place in a unique time and way was proclaimed by the angels. Clayton texted me early this morning. I was, I was still groggy laying there. And he said, what was the angel's name that appeared to Joseph? I know Gabriel was the one that appeared to Mary. And I just texted back. I think his name was Clyde. <laughs> he just gave me kind of a smirk emoji. I, I don't know his name. He's just an angel. He's a minister. He didn't come up with the name. It was God's idea. God said, you will call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. How about you today? Have you ever come to that point in your life where you recognize your sin? You see it the way God sees it. And you know that you can't save yourself. And you just cry out, Jesus, save me. God, save me. You come to him by the way that he's provided. That is Jesus his son. Have you ever done that? You need that. You may not always feel it, but that's the gospel truth that we need salvation. If you've never done that, you can do that right where you sit today. You call out to God through the name of Jesus' His son. Confess your sins, repent of them, turn to him by faith and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Maybe you're here today and you did that long ago. Maybe you did it last week. You're a Christian. But maybe you've fallen again under the power of sin. Maybe your conscience is guilty today and plagued by things you've done. I tell you what you need to do come under the beautiful, cleansing, atoning grace of Jesus. Confess your sins to Him. He is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Let the grace of God wash over you today. Don't listen to the voices of condemnation and despair. Hear the name of Jesus over your life again. He is your Savior. He is your life. He is your Lord. Come to Him fresh today. You don't have to be saved again. You can only be saved once. But you can walk in the cleansing power again and again. Would you bow with me today? And let this time of invitation be a time where we come under the grace of Christ. This loving, humble, eternal king. Do business with him today. Respond in your heart to his grace that he's poured out for you. If you have a need that you'd like to pray for today, the altar is open. We're going to extend our time of invitation for just a few moments. Whatever you need to do, if you have decided to trust Christ to be saved and you want to make that public just like Jesus made his coming public, you come today and let that be known. Whatever it is you need to do in this place, in this hour, in this moment, you do that. God, we thank you that you have done for us what we could never do on our own, what we have no strength or power or ability to do, and that is you came to save us. You sent Jesus down to this earth in such a public way with angelic pronouncements and yet with this coming in humility and gentleness, lowliness, and mercy. Today, Lord, I pray that by your spirit and by your word that you would minister this amazing grace back into our hearts and lives. Refresh us again by your grace. Renew us today by your grace. Help us to be a people who walk continually in your grace and your love and your mercy. Let that so pervade our lives and hearts that it just comes out of us in our relationship with others, in our thinking about ourselves, even in our weakest and lowliest moments. God, help us to never forget the salvation that you came to bring. Let us always walk in the light of that mercy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.